Welcome everyone to F1 Nation. My name is Tom Clarkson and my teammate this week is Natalie Pinkham. Pinks, how are you? We're back, we're back, we're back. I had serious FOMO listening back to the podcast last week, <laughs> but uh, back in the groove. Sad not to have uh, Damon with us. Can't have it all, can we? Can't have it all. He's busy on the golf course. But look, what have you been up to <laughs> since we last spoke? Funny enough, been on the golf course. I have actually taken up golf, would you believe it? I have got five months to learn golf. I've never once hit a golf ball in my life. And me and three other girls, Fleur East from X Factor, uh, Helen Skelton from BBC Countryfile and other shows, and Bella Shah from Sky Sports News are taking up golf. And we play each other in August. The winner then wins a place in the BMW PGA Pro-Am in September. That is amazing. But you know about golf. Well, you're learning about golf. It is the most frustrating sport in the world. I am massively frustrated. And I'm definitely going to get fined for swearing because first time I went out last week, I was cursing every hole. I mean, honestly, I don't don't know why anyone would see this as an enjoyable hobby. But my goodness, we really did miss you last week because we had Pedro de la Rosa on the show. Oh, what a lovely guy. And I loved the fact that you were unpicking the Mercedes versus Red Bull rivalry i'd love with your permission to take that debate on to another great rivalry that we've enjoyed through the decades ferrari versus mclaren which you'd have to say after the evidence of bahrain looks like heating up in 2021 as well permission granted paints and hasn't it been one hell of a rivalry and that makes Hazen Senna world champion this year. Michael's having to defend, but the back mark is in the way. Can he do it? Yes, he's done it. A brilliant move brilliant there move on the there. side of Sonta. And Hakkinen brilliantly takes the lead of the Belgian Grand Prix. Massa comes through to claim his sixth victory of the season. He has done everything he needed to do. Is that Glock? Is that Glock? The Ferrari boys are celebrating. They, they both they think they've they won, but Ferrari are wrong. They're absolutely no, wrong. wrong Hamilton's guys. finished fifth. Lewis Hamilton is the world champion. Unbelievable. 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 It was close in Bahrain, wasn't it? I mean... What was it? Leclerc qualified quicker than McLaren's by 0.3, but then McLaren finished ahead in the race. And it's the second race within the race, isn't it? And that's what we want to see as fans of the sport. We want to see the whole grid fighting tooth and nail for every uh, point, every podium and obviously every win. And what I mean, obviously, we have only got one race to go on, but it felt to me as if the midfield is now in three subsections. So we've got McLaren versus Ferrari, and then perhaps you could tuck Alpha Tauri into that based on pace alone. And then a bit further back, Aston Martin versus Alpine, and then Alfa Romeo versus Haas versus Williams. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're bang on with all of that. But when it comes to McLaren and Ferrari, what I want to know is where are those teams going to allocate their resource for this year are they going to focus on 2022 or are they actually going to put some resource behind this year to get that third place 
in the World Championship. And that's a big decision for the technical guys to make. It's a huge decision. And, you know, this year matters. Every year matters. P3 matters in the constructors. I mean, that's a question I'd love to put to the teams and no doubt we will. Why don't we talk about some classic rivalries between McLaren and Ferrari? Because, you know, Mercedes and Red Bull are newcomers to the sport by comparison. And... When I was just flicking through my Grand Prix guide, which has every race in Formula One since 1950, I think there are two seasons that really stand out for me. One is 1976, James Hunt, Nicky Lauda. I was one at the time, so I don't remember it obviously at the time, but it was just a great great battle and we saw Nicky and James great mates but the rivalry between McLaren and Ferrari was as intense everyone goes oh back then it was more of a gentlemanly sport no it wasn't they were in the courts arguing about wing sizes after the Spanish Grand Prix and then of course Nicky has that horrendous accident at the Nürburgring James then goes on and wins and then they go into the final round and Nicky withdraws I mean it was as the movie Rush told so beautifully just one of the iconic seasons iconic is exactly the word and i think we look back with rose-tinted glasses to an extent when you haven't lived through it you look back with that sense of romantic nostalgia but yes of course um watching rush just made you feel a massive sense of pride about the sport but um for me i bring it right the way forward to 2008 i wasn't yet working in formula one but was a fan and those images, again, iconic now since the dust has settled and we've moved forward of, of Massa's family celebrating in the garage. And then the realisation came over their faces and the absolute heartache um, when they realised the World Championship had slipped through their fingers. And in 2011, when I did come into the sport with Five Live, I remember going to the track in Brazil with Timo Glock because he was part of our team for that race. And he said, you know, it's it's pretty dangerous to be traveling in a car with me in these parts. And I hadn't realized just, well, I mean, until I got there, I didn't realize just how passionate the Brazilian fans are and, and how much they blame Timo Glock for the pain they endured that day and uh, for many years. The paddock after that race in 2008 was just incredibly emotional place to be because obviously you had Hamilton celebrating his first world championship with McLaren at one end of the paddock. And then the fans were booing Timo Glock. I happened to bump into him as he was sort of in and around the the, air, the the Toyota area. And there were people in the paddock club. The paddock club is above the pits or used to be back in, 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 the, in the day at Interlagos. And they were booing him. And it's a pretty intense place at the best of time, isn't it? You know, it's a, it's a very squished up paddock. You're kind of on top of each other. And um, you sense the passion and commitment of the fans. But I can only imagine in 2008 how full on that would have been. But it's kind of pantomime-esque, isn't it? They need a villain and a hero. And, but I mean, you have to say, I, my heart still aches for Felipe after that, even though I'm a proud Englishwoman. And obviously that was an incredible moment for British motorsport, seeing Lewis take the championship. And in a second, we will have Felipe Massa's race engineer from that very race, Rob Smedley. And it's also mad, isn't it, that the last Ferrari world champion was Kimi the year before in 2007. And McLaren haven't won a Constructors' Championship since 2008. So it's been a long time. And uh, they ain't going to win it, either of those, this year. But it's, uh, it's great to see the battle between them, isn't it? I 
I'm delighted to introduce onto the show a big friend of the show and hugely popular man in the Formula One paddock. He's really very clever as well. He's got the very grand title of Director of Data Systems for Formula One. It's Mr. Rob Smedley. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. Very posh title indeed, Natalie, isn't it? <laughs> it is, doesn't it? I mean, you're very, very, very clever, doesn't it? Can we introduce you perhaps more simply as our Middlesbrough correspondent. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, <laughs> the, the Borough Massive, yeah. <laughs> we were chatting before you came on about the, the battle between McLaren and Ferrari through the years. Interested to get your take on where you feel they're at this year. I know we've only had one race so far, but uh, what's your assessment of their competition with one another? Well, it's it's definitely a lot closer, isn't it? You know, Ferrari have made some, uh, I would I would deem it, you know, steps forward with, with the engine, with the power unit from what we can see. It's not a huge step, but there are no huge steps in, in, in Formula One, I guess. Definitely the car looks a little bit better to drive. Um, almost certainly the car is is, is easier to drive and, and the drivers can get more performance out of it. Um, we saw Charles qualified very well and they're pretty much on the, you know, you've got to be to, to be to be clear about it as well. They're on the trajectory that they were on for the latter half of, of last year. You know, they started 2020 in a really bad way. They the, the first few races, if anything, they went a little bit backwards compared to the rest of the field. But then they kind of got their act together. But it's a big ask, isn't it? Because they started from so far back for such a big team um, that it's going to take them a long time to get to the front. They, they're cognizant of that themselves. They've, they've mentioned that themselves as well in the media. But they are on the right trajectory. And we saw where Charles qualified and, and, and how they were able to race in, in, in Bahrain. That's continuing. McLaren, on the other hand, um, you know, all power to them, to be honest. You know, this is a team that, that were back where... Um, at the right at the back of the, the the midfield, it's not even worse. They're one of the worst teams um, going back some years. Changes to management, changes to approach. They're just doing a better and better job. You know, they've got two really good peddlers in there now, and you know they're also finding themselves at the front of the midfield. That Mercedes power plan is going to be all important, but the car's good as well. You know, they're finally well, not finally. You know, it's it's been a good few years now, a good two three years that they've that they've really started to to get the car on song got rid of a load of drag. You know, I think it was obvious to a blind man in a dark alley that, that, that they had too much drag for a long, long time. And and it seemed to be that all they ever talked about was the engine. They're, they're not doing that anymore now. You know, they're very, very focused on the car. They've got the best engine, or if not, if you know, it might not be as the advantage that it had before, but it's certainly a great um, power unit. And and they're doing a really good job. You know, I think they've been doing a really great job as a team since, definitely since um, back into 2018. So we're going to see a good battle with them again, aren't we? It's going to be like the old days, the um, the, the, the 90s, back to the 90s. Well, I wasn't born, but um, <laughs> Tom, you'll remember. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but Rob, how, how representative is Bahrain? As Pink says, we've only had one race. So, you know, if you're quick in Bahrain, are you going to be quicker? Imola, for example, next weekend. Well, certainly if you take Imola, um, and I'll get all, all the engineering will come out now, the, you know, Imola has is, is a much higher downforce sensitivity. So, you know, so cars that have a lot of downforce will be rewarded in Imola. Efficient cars are rewarded in, in tracks like Bahrain. But, you know, Bahrain is a difficult track and definitely you need a good aerodynamic package there if anything, because of the high winds. So when you get all of these crosswinds coming across the car, you know, or what we call in, in aerodynamic terms when the car's in, in your, it's a difficult track to drive and you need a good, stable aerodynamic platform. And you could see that both cars were really, really good in the race, especially McLaren. 
So I think that if the car's good in Bahrain, it'll be pretty much good everywhere else. It's interesting though, isn't it? Because with Bahrain, we had the race at the end of last season. We had testing there. And so actually, it feels like going to Imola is more into the unknown. Obviously, we had the 2020 race there. We had limited time though, because it was only a two-day race weekend. Before that, only Kimi had driven at that track before. So how much of it is going into the unknown for not just the drivers, but the teams as a whole? Can, can I just, let, let me just get the door because my dog is scratching on the door, um, desperate to be let in. Come on then. <laughs> oh, she looks very pleased to be involved. Rob, what breed is she? Uh, I don't know, Tom. She's a, she's a dog. <laughs> <laughs> the kids wanted her. <laughs> I, I guess you know we've had the we, we've had that weekend as you mentioned that um, I, I think that the teams are going to be fairly well. What what rookies have we got apart from um, Mick Schumacher and um, and Mazepin and Sonoda? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know the rookies they, they're going to have to learn it a little bit, but the teams will have picked up a, a huge amount of data in in that um, when they were there last year. So I don't think that it's going to be much much of an unknown. It's such a it's such a different track, you know. This is what I, I remember talking to uh, my old mate Ted Kravitz about this, saying that oh well, everybody, you know, all the people who were there um, back in two thousand and six, wasn't it? Back in two thousand and six, they're going to have an advantage, the, the the teams or whatever. And and in my mind, I said absolutely not. The cars have moved on so much since then that it's going to be a different track, and it is slightly different in places anyway. But I mean, goodness me, to use a polite term, the cars are fast around there now. <laughs> um, the cars are really, really fast. I mean, you see them come into the chicanes and it's just incredible how fast they are at that turn one, two. You know, I, I, it was it was almost breathtaking when I when I saw it last year. I went down there and watched it and it was just, I, I'd never seen the car. I, I was just like kind of shocked. They were back on the throttle before they were off the throttle. Um, if that makes any sense. And it didn't used to be like that in the old days. There was so much, you know, we've only gone back 10, 15 years, but the cars were so much more of a handful and so much less downforce and so much more difficult to drive. They're just physical, these things. They're just brutal, you know, which is why when the young guys come in, like like Mick and um, Nikita, it takes a bit of getting used to, especially at, at big, big circuits like that. Silverstone, um, Suzuka, Imola in those big corners. It takes getting some getting used to for them. Yeah, but Ferrari have got young guys as well, haven't they? Both Carlos and Charles. I mean, how much are they going to miss the experience of someone like Sebastian Vettel? I don't know. I mean, we, we think of Carlos as being young. You'll probably um, hate me for saying this. We think of Carlos being young, but I mean, he's been doing it for a good while now, hasn't he? I mean, him and Max, you, you tend to forget how long they've been doing it. It's got to be six years, hasn't it? Something like that. Yeah, this is number seven, yeah. Right, so Carlos has been doing it for a long, long time. I think that he's he's already got a mature head on, on his shoulder. Charles is developing as a driver still. You know, he's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. And the team is is definitely, you know, focused on on him. But I think when you've got a half-decent car and good peddlers, you know, with a few years of experience under the belt, they're going to be fine. You know, you, you, you're not really reliant on those tens of years of experience. Tom and I had a bit of... Uh, a disagreement, if you will, about Ooh. Carlos Sainz. I know, we only just started working together. But it was about Carlos Sainz's approach. And I, I thought that it was mature and sensible to be tentative in, in the early stages of, of his Ferrari career because he admitted to sort of not taking it easy, but not going all out. And Tom was disappointed with this. What's your take on that? Because he's trying to bed in with the new team. Um, and... 
he doesn't want to make any mistakes. And I guess the theory is, is that when you're in a new team, you're so desperate to prove yourself, you are, are often guilty of overdriving the car. Yes. Yeah. And I think that in, in that situation, for, for Ferrari is like, and everybody says this, uh, but it's true. I can tell you the Ferrari pressure cooker is like no other pressure cooker. They put another couple of bar in there. It's really, you're, you're constantly, especially the, the, the people who are in the public eye, you're constantly in the spotlight. There's no getting away from it. And when things start to unfold, they can unfold really, really quickly. And I think the worst thing that, that Carlos could have done, and I can tell you this from personal experience um, of working with um, Felipe Massa, the worst thing that, that you could do is kind of come in and you know make a, a big, bold statement that you're going to send Charles off into the weeds and, and you're going to get number one status or, or whatever it is that I'm sure you know, he eventually wants or they both eventually want that. Because if that doesn't work, the pressure just mounts on you and it just it, it becomes almost insurmountable, the, the, the task that you got in hand. And if we go back, and, and this is, I'm going to give you a bit of ancient history now, but I think it's relevant. Um, if we go back to when, when Felipe first started as an official driver, in, in Ferrari, um, he made the big mistake between him and I guess the people around him at the time that they were, he was going to come in and he had to match Michael, you know, Michael Schumacher, seven times world champion. The lad's not a slouch. Um, so, and, and Felipe kind of walked into it and he was, you know, in his mind, he was going to match him and he was going to beat him and all the rest of it. And it just started to unfold. From minute one, it, it really started to unfold and it wasn't until... Um, Rob Smedley arrived and started engineering his car. Well, you said it, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no. It, it, it wasn't until we we put the right team around him, um, who kind of you know got his feet back on the ground and said, "You're not going to beat Michael, so forget about that. You eventually will be able to do it, but it's going to take you a long time. But we're going to start working on a really structured approach and, and put a lot of process behind it." and use your raw talent to actually get you out of the, the situation you're in, that we started to make progress. And I think that if Carlson has gone off on the on the back foot, they're a tough crowd to please the, the Tifosi. They either love you or hate you, you know, and, and, and everybody who's worked there will, will, will tell you that. You know, sometimes you walk down the street and people will literally come up to you and, and hug you, um, you know, and they're almost like shaking to be in your presence. And the same people, two weeks later, or spit on the floor when you walk past. Literally, literally. I do. I've never seen anyone spit at Rob, but I do remember turning up at Monza at the same time and walking through and thinking, "This is this is amazing. You're like some kind of demigod." There It was like the sea parted. They were <laughs> chanting your name, and you were like just waving at your fans. I was like, "This is bonkers, Rob. It is incredible, isn't it?" Um, but anyway, I think that was Rob's very roundabout way of saying that he agrees with me, TC, and not you. What? Well, I'm going to add one thing that Pedro de la Rosa said on the show. And Rob, I'd like to know your thoughts on this. And that he said where Carlos went wrong was admitting before the race that he was going to be conservative because the likes of Fernando Alonso near him on the grid will have just been rubbing their hands with glee saying, OK, well, I've got him into turn one. Here we go. Yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree with Pedro there. Um, I don't think you should ever show your weaknesses. I mean, Carlos probably should have kept, um, you know, his, his, his powder dry on that one. I think that that was, you know, perhaps something that he, he, he didn't want to advertise to his fellow adversaries. Well, just out of interest, you know, you've talked a lot about the pressures of being at Ferrari. Is it any different today? 
than when you were there, not just in terms of pressures, but do you feel that the mindset's changed? Do you feel like the the blame culture has perhaps diminished somewhat? Yeah, I, I, I don't really know, to be honest. It's very difficult to understand, you know, what's going on on the inside of a team until, you, until you're properly on the inside of it. I think that, you know, if I can be, you know, kind to them, they've done a really good job in the last 12 months to get themselves back in the right direction. It's very, very easy for the whole thing to unravel really quickly there and I've seen it happen you know before my eyes and you know remaining calm keeping the key people in place making tweaks to the organization but not putting a nuclear bomb underneath it they're all of the things that 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 Ferrari need to do And, and I just hope that they continue you know the very senior management I'm talking about the people above Mattia continue to have patience and continue to 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 at least see the the bits of progress that, that are being made, because the worst thing they can do right now is to is to put another, you know, put a bomb under it and, and have to start again. It will just be, you know, it will make that, that road to recovery even longer. Now, Rob, one last thing before we go. Pinks and I were talking about this earlier. When you're in a really close battle with, a, with another team, how intense does that rivalry get? Does it even stray into the realms of animosity? You know, it, it has done in the past and, and it really... Uh, it's like all culture. Culture set from the top down, isn't it? When you've got um, a team principal which is very respectful, perhaps intelligent with his public thoughts, his or her public thoughts, hopefully soon, then the rest of the, the organisation tends to be like that. When you've got, let's say, a senior leadership, which is perhaps brings about a little bit more animosity into the fight, some of the organisation can follow that as well. And that can be you know, a little bit more, more the culture. I think that Formula One, the majority of the time that, that I've been involved in really close battles and really, you know, for championships or, or, or even less, I think that most of the time it, it stays really professional because people in Formula One, they're hopefully at the pinnacle of, of what they do. They should be the best. And of course, you know, we're all ridiculously competitive. You've never met a more competitive bunch of people anywhere ever. I mean, you guys know that. We're all ridiculously competitive, and and everybody's got a, a massive ego. But you've got to, you've got to kind of keep it on an even keel, and and you should never let animosity come into it off the track. You know, battle hard on the track, battle hard back in the factory, do everything that you can to to win fairly, but also do it. I think you've got to do it in in a way that you know there's not that that silly animosity and and, and unprofessional and, and all of the the terrible politics that come into it. If you just let the, the the technology and the drivers do their job and they're talking on the track, then I think that things, you know, usually remain on a much better footing. Respect, I suppose, is the key, isn't it? Respect. And knowing that everyone is human and everyone is just working hard for the best result. Yeah, 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 of course, of course. And and I've always I've always tried to instill that, you know, in, in, in whatever team I've worked in and whatever group that I've been leading at the time it's always about having respect you know it's, it's, it's about doing absolutely everything that you can to beat your competitor and you live and breathe it it's a vocation this job is definitely a vocation and you absolutely live and breathe trying to, to, to beat them and pummel them into the ground on the track but off track and you know you should be able to go and have a beer in the airport and just be respectful I think um, and even friendly you know I've got lots of mates um, who we would you know, have a good old ding dong on a Sunday afternoon and then you go and have a beer on a Tuesday night with them. Well, Rob, thank you for that insight. Fantastic. Um, who's going to win at Imola? One word. Um, Mercedes. 
say Red Bull. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Great to speak to you, Rob. Many thanks for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. See you soon. See you in Imola. Bye-bye. Bye. Let's throw it forward to... I didn't even know what this Grand Prix is called. It's got a very, very long name, hasn't it? Is it the Emilia Romagna something, something, something Grand Prix, isn't it? But very much looking forward to returning to Imola. Um, I love the place. Uh, do you love it? Well, I have to tell you, this will be my first ever time at Imola. Oh, wow. I'm really excited. I've never been before. It's obviously steeped in history as a Formula One fan. It's kind of an iconic destination and it's a driver's circuit. It's faster than Bahrain, I gather. And uh, mistakes are punished. It's a very different proposition. There's no runoff areas. We won't have the track limits debate in the same way that we did in Bahrain. But yes, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And uh, I think we've got plenty to look forward to. But in the immediate term, what we've got to look forward to is introducing Davide Valsecchi into the chat. Here he is, our Italian correspondent. Ciao, Natalie. Ciao. Ciao. Hi. Let's say, buongiorno principessa. <laughs> Brava, buongiorno principessa. Ciao, un piacere. It's a pleasure. It's always good to see you. Uh, first of all, how are you? I appreciate the haircut. Was that uh, was that a, a home job, lockdown chop? <laughs> yeah, why? It's not completely straight, right? <laughs> yeah, home job, you're right. Uh, pleasure to be, to be with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to the race in Imola because uh, last year was spectacular and uh, I'm a big fan of that track. I love to race in there. And uh, last year was perfect, the race there. And so I'm very happy that uh, Formula One bring back back to Italy again. Now, Davide, Natalie's just told us that she's never been to Imola before. So if there's one corner, she needs to go out and have a look at the cars going past. Which one would you say? Yeah, you know, the name are all Italian, so not easy for you to remember, but it's Acque Minerali. Acque Minerali. Yeah, that is like, uh, uh, I don't know, spring water, I think, something like that. And uh, yeah, that corner is amazing because it's downhill, then right, right, and the changing of uh, of uh, camber of that corner, and uh, you go in uh, uphill, so it's something fantastic. Acqua Minerali. What about Rivazza, though? Come on, that's a great one. Downhill, braking. I mean, Nats, there are so many corners. You're going to have to say to the guys at Sky, sorry, lads, I'm going to miss this session because I've got a whole racetrack to go and look at. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, is one of the circuits that uh, made the history of Formula One. So every time you get in there, you have this special feeling to be part of something that, uh, uh, you know, make the history of motorsport. So... Is, is is sensational to to race there and to be honest in the past was not famous to to have a, a really enjoyable race because it's not easy to overtake but you know last year was different we had a lot of fun probably also the safety car did you remember the race safety car uh, close to the end uh, made uh, made the race much more interesting and so we are happy to be there how difficult a track is it from a driver's perspective? Uh, not easy at all. Eh? I remember last year, uh, some of the drivers never raced in that uh, in that circuit. And I remember that Bottas went there with a normal Mercedes car just to have some laps and to, to bring back uh, some memories of the, the corner. You know, it's not an easy one because uh, the new circuit are easier considering the asphalt escape road, you have a lot of space. 
Here you have always uh, grass and gravel immediately after the truck and the white line. And then you have barrier not so far away. Uh, did you remember Russell, that is a phenomenal driver, no? last year showed us. Some uh, race before, when there was the, the Formula One Grand Prix in, uh, in Imola, he had the huge mistake. Did you remember? He warming up uh, behind the safety car. That for the driver is the worst of things that you can do. So also, if you are an extremely talented driver, you can have uh, some big mistake that can compromise your race and your weekend there. Now, Davide, we've been discussing the battle between Ferrari and McLaren so far in the show. As our Italian correspondent, give us the Italian perspective on what Ferrari are doing this year, what the mood is in Italy about the racing team. Yeah, the mood at the moment is positive. First of all, because um, Carlos Sainz joined the team and uh, it brings, um, I don't know, joy. He's extremely happy to be part of Ferrari. He was dreaming to be a Ferrari driver. And he has this type of charter, this type of mood that is always happy, always smiling. He works very hard with the team and makes the team look like a family. So good point that is very positive is science. Because if you consider only the position of Leclerc, if Leclerc ended up the race in fifth position, it's okay. He's not extremely happy. He was used in 2019 uh, he had seven pole position during that season, three victories. So for him, fifth at the moment with Ferrari is not enough. For science, everything that he can show that is positive, you know, he take it uh, in the in the right way. So science positive, and then they improved a lot from the last uh, year. So it seems that uh, checking the data and checking the results of every teams. Seems the Ferrari is the one that lost less with the changing of the regulation. So seems that is the team that most improved from from 2020. So at the moment is positive, but they have the aim and the goal to reach the third position in the uh, constructor championship. That is not easy at all because McLaren with Norris improved a lot with Ricciardo. That is a winning driver. Not easy to beat them. But I guess the only way is up after 2020. Such a terrible campaign for Ferrari, the worst in 40 years. And it does feel as if there's a new impetus there with signs. It felt as if Sebastian was just sort of treading water until he left the team. And it, it really needed the shot in the arm of a new driver with new energy to come in. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. And then he's young. He didn't got uh, any, any victory yet. So uh, being in the top five with the Ferrari for him is positive. You know, it's, it's big different, a big change from the feeling of Sebastian Vettel. Vettel, every time he was seventh, he was disappointed. He was 14th, he was disappointed. I mean, in the last few months, he lost uh, his, uh, you know, his, his feeling, his attitude in Ferrari. And it seems that he was not working out very well with the team. So uh, for sure, uh, science is a change that uh, went uh, in, in the right direction and isn't going in the right direction, then we need to check it out the car because the engine is improved and every driver that is racing and is testing with Ferrari is saying that the engine, he had a big step. About the chassis and the setup of the car, I don't know, and the aerodynamics, yeah, there's still a lot of job to do because I think that the race pace in the, in the, in the weekend the race pace is the weak point. I mean, it was fourth Leclerc in quali, 
And then in the race, he was struggling to end it up sixth. And consider Perez. Perez was last just after the first lap. Eh? So he recovered to him like 40 seconds. I mean, that is still the, weak, uh, the, the weakest point for Ferrari. And they, they need to work harder to be strong enough to take the top three position in the, in the, the championship, I think. There's two really good Italian teams this year, aren't they? Because Alpha Tauri in Bahrain looked really strong, didn't they? And, uh, you know, based just down the road in Faenza, it, it couldn't be more local for them. What can we expect from them? <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. Yuki Tsunoda! <laughs> you can't steal him! He's mine, he's mine! Yeah, and I don't know if you guys meet him because, you know, he's so small also. He's so small. I mean, I'm, I'm small, but when you, when you meet Tsunoda, you've been surprised about how small is it. But, you know, the racing driver, they we used to say, you know, in the past, ah, if you're small and you're tiny, you're a racing driver. Oh, you, you, you ride horse. So I think I think is the perfect body for a, for a racing driver, and uh, yeah, they are delivering very well in Alpha Tauri because Tom, you said Alpha Tauri, and they can say to you uh, fifth in quali, Pierre Gasly, great race from Tsunoda. Gasly was unlucky in the first lap, and uh, he had he had the problem with the front wing. He lost the front wing and he destroyed his race. But you know, Tsunoda, the recovery that he made from Alpha Race to the end was, was amazing. So I think that in uh, Imola, already last year, Alpha Tauri was strong with... Uh, um, Gasly was Q4, um, qualified fourth. Yeah, and then in the race, also Kvyat was strong. So yeah. I agree with you, one of the best weekends for them. Very close to where they are based, because they are in Faenza, so very close to Imola. I think they're going to be the surprise of the weekend from my point of view. And Tsunoda, you know, it's so funny that for sure we have one eye on watching his race for this weekend. If he's big in Italy, can you imagine how popular Yuki Tsunoda is in Japan at the minute? Yeah, to be honest, I have a friend that um, is uh, half Japan, half Italian. And he told me already after the first test, did you remember that was one of the stronger at the end of the last days of testing in Bahrain? But he was using the DRS in a strange way. Yeah, was open the DRS everywhere, a bit out of the rule, but was on top of the list. I think third or fourth. Already was in the first page on the sport uh, uh, newspaper in in Japan. So I mean, I think he's going to be a great star and uh, a local hero there in Japan for sure. And it makes me so sad that Honda are pulling out because you just think, wouldn't it be wonderful if they could cling on to the coattails of Yuki Tsunoda and create this Yuki Honda, I'm not saying domination, but just w- such a wonderful story, isn't it? Yeah, strange. To be honest, when uh, when the news uh, appears last year, I was thinking that uh, they were going to change their mind in Honda, no? I said, no, if the engine is so strong and they are competitive and they are fighting for the championship with uh, Verstappen, they are going to change their mind. But then uh, then we realized this year that, uh, okay, they, they have already agreement with Red Bull and probably Red Bull is going to continue the, the, the development of the engine in the future. So uh, it's done. They are going to left the Formula One. And uh, yeah, I'm sad I'm, and uh, I'm disappointed for it, for them. Because now that they are strong, the problem is one of the best engine in Formula One because this year, yeah, the, the last step, I think, because last year they were competitive, but then... Uh, they came in qualified time, and every time Mercedes was a step uh, ahead. Now, this year seems that when we arrived in qualify, 
Verstappen, his Red Bull, and his Honda engine, they were unbeatable. So I think that they, they closed the gap. They are equal with Mercedes, and now that they are strong, they left Formula One. I don't know. I think the, 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 the plan and the management plan was not perfect, no, because now they are right, they leave. Oh. Yeah, but you know what? I think we should have huge <laughs> respect for the fact they've thrown the kitchen sink at, at this one, and they fast-tracked the engine for this year. They want to go out on a high, and that's, that's fantastic for the sport. Yeah, Tom, I don't know your point of view, but I'm not surprised. Well, we've been there before, haven't we? 2008, they were cooking something wonderful in all the wind tunnels in Japan, both at Sakura and in the UK. Uh, of course, 2009, they win the championship, but badged as a Braun and, and a Mercedes engine. Yeah, I agree with you. And then, uh, guys, we know some Japanese person no? and some Japanese guy from the Formula One board. Uh, we, ne we need to admit that they have... A lot of honor. They have a lot of respect for the work. So I'm not surprised. I think if they have a name and a goal until uh, number 31 of December, I think they are going to push uh, at the limit until the last minute of the day because they are too proud to stop earlier from my point of view. Couldn't agree more. Okay, let's get a prediction then from you, Davide, as to who will win in Imola. Actually, can I have the whole podium, please? Not easy, but... Uh, I think Verstappen is not going to lose uh, another uh, opportunity of winning and, and uh, get the leading of the championship because for them it's extremely important to be top of the grid and top of the list at the beginning of the season. So I think Verstappen for the victory at Red Bull. And then uh, I guess second uh, Bottas and third Hamilton. You know, not, not because I, I love Hamilton and uh, I admit that he's the best driver probably ever. But, you know, I would like to see a big fight for the championship. So I'm personally pushed a little bit for the underdogs because I would like to, to see a very hard and nasty fight for the championship in the last few races of the, of the season. So I put um, Verstappen, Bottas, and Hamilton third. And Bottas was quick at Imola last year, wasn't he? Pole position. And then he had that debris on his car in the race, which slowed him down. Well, Nats, I'm going to throw in Pierre Gasly. I'm not quite sure which step he's going to be on, but uh, I think Pierre Gasly is going to be on, uh, on the podium. Perhaps Max Verstappen P1, Hamilton P2, Gasly three. There you go. Go on, Nat. What's, what do you think? Oh, I quite like the sound of that podium. <laughs> yeah. But I obviously can't totally agree with you, can I? Um, Ricardo inherited P3, didn't he? The third step of the podium last time out. I'm going to chuck a McLaren in there. So I'm going to say Lewis, Max, Lando. I mean, I don't know why. I just thought, you know. Ah, no Ferraris, Davide. No Ferraris on the podium. Ah, they're, they're convinced that they can put one car on podium. But, uh, you know, if the contenders and the rivals, they deliver 100% of their potential, it's almost impossible for Ferrari to get there. We are we are forgetting uh, Perez at the moment, guys. Because, okay. Oh, uh, yeah, we have Perez that okay, is not 100% with the car at the moment. Probably is not good enough to deliver the result in quali, but we saw in Bahrain one of the best races of the field eh? and so many overtakes, no one mistakes. And that race was amazing. I mean, was a podium delivery for sure. So we are forgetting Perez, but I agree with you, Natalie. 
This year, London Horris, from my point of view, looks special. Yes, by side, Ricciardo. For me, a winning driver in Formula One, and one of the best of the grid. But you know, Norris, he has something special. He couldn't not deliver it in quality, but then what a race. I mean, this year, this year, he has the speed in, in his blood, I think. And uh, he's keep improving, improving, improving. This man uh, can be one of the... I mean, one of the men for the title in the next few years. Huh? Do you know, it's interesting about Perez because um, he's allowed a kind of grace period, if you like, to bed in with the team, as you would say for Daniel at McLaren, for Carlos at Ferrari, for Seb even at Aston Martin. But I feel like he's ahead of the curve already. You know, we thought that it would two or three or four races before you really saw a great race performance. As you say, he got driver of the day in Bahrain. Uh, quality was more difficult, but wow, did he come good in the race. And I think he's going to settle in very well to that team and be a great teammate to Max Verstappen. I agree with you. And Tom, we need also to consider that uh, mentally is in a perfect position, Perez, because no one is expecting anything special in qualifying from you in comparison to Verstappen. Everyone is saying he's already beaten. But then in the race, he has this spirit and this characteristic of uh, strong pace, hard to be overtaken, good attacker. I mean, he's the perfect man to match up uh, for the 70 or 80 laps of the race distance in Formula One. And great management of the tyres. He's fantastic in managing the tyres. I mean, I think he's the perfect man to be by side Verstappen and to give a huge help to Red Bull. That... He lost in the last few few years the, the support of the second driver. With Perret, I think uh, they, they, they took the, the, the aim and the goal. No? They solved completely the problem. As long as Perez doesn't let Max Verstappen's pace in qualifying get to him, because I think that has been the unravelling of all of Max's teammates before. So as long as he accepts that he's slower. I think he's too long in the tooth for that now. I think the problem with the Red Bull driver programme is that they were seeing young talent and plucking them out too soon and throwing them into the, the cauldron that is the full senior team. And it and it became something of a poison chalice. It became like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, you're never going to out-qualify Max Verstappen. You're never going to out-race him. And such huge pressure... And Pierre Gasly publicly said that he didn't have the support that he needed when he was in the team. It is very much Max Verstappen's team, but I feel like Checo was nearly out of the sport altogether. So he's coming at it from a completely different perspective, much calmer, much more considered and uh, much more experienced. You're right. Very mature parents. And, uh, you know, is the last big chance of his career. At a certain point of last season, he was out of Formula One. I mean, when they told me this story, it was a surprise. I respect Vettel, he won a four title, four one championship. But last year, when they when Aston Martin chose uh, Sebastian Vettel instead of Perez, I said, uh, I thought, ah, that, that is crazy. I mean, yeah, they have one driver that is delivering so well. Why substitute him? Okay, then we realized that was for imagine to change the, the consideration of the team. But Perez out of Formula One was something unupsetting. And I'm extremely happy that Red Bull took him because he's already showed just after one race that he's deserved that place and he can be very helpful for, for the team. Fantastic insight, Davide. Um, before you go, what is the lockdown situation in Italy at the moment? Yeah, good point. If Nat and I are going out to dinner, are, are we even allowed to meet up? 
No, because uh, it will be not so. It will be not easy at all eh, in Imola because uh, uh, you know at the moment we have uh, we are in a red zone. That in Italy it means that uh, out of uh, work condition you cannot uh, go to the bar because they are closed. Restaurant closed. Commercial center or mall closed. You cannot meet with friends if not uh, they are not uh, on on your family. You're not you're not selling this well. We're going to one of the most beautiful bits of Italy, and we're not allowed to leave the hotel. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and then there will be no no crown offense. So I don't know. Everything will be will be much more less in terms of passion, but for sure not less in terms of spectacular of the racing it's been so lovely to have you on this podcast thank you so much for your time see you there thanks Davide ciao 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 wonderful to have Davide on the show but let's hope there is an Imola Grand Prix in 2022 because yes it's wonderful racetrack but it is so beautiful there and if it's your first visit i really really want you to see some of the little villages around the track a place called bridges cellar which is up in the hills and it's very old and best pizza i've ever eaten and it's just gorgeous you're not going to get any of that this year so let's hope stefano dominicali if you're listening we need another imolo grand prix and i know you stefano love that place because you used to work there well to be honest i haven't heard anyone speak badly of it so maybe it could be a permanent fixture on the calendar going forward right tom any other business well it's been a busy week uh, given that there's been no races formula one never stands still and uh End of last week, news came through that Mercedes tech chief, James Allison, is going to step back. He's still going to be involved, but he's, what is he now? I think his new role is chief technical officer, but Mike Elliott is going to step up into the technical directorship. And that, I think, is a massive bit of news for Mercedes, given particularly that we've got the regulation changes for 2022, and that's all in full swing at the factories. So, a huge change there. James Allison is a wonderful talker and we love having him on the show and all those sorts of things, but he's a brilliant technical director and they will miss him, have to miss him. So what do you think that means in immediate terms for the team? Will we see an impact from that or will you know the handover file be so thorough that nothing will be missed? They've been there before. Paddy Lowe uh, stepped down at the end of 2016 and, and it, they didn't miss a beat, really. Although, funnily enough, he stepped down at the end of 2016 and Ferrari were much closer to them in 2017. But I'm sure the handover file is both big and thorough. And I think, I mean, we had Andrew Shovlin on the show last week saying that Mercedes aren't going to outdevelop Red Bull this year. It's all about turning up at the racetrack and maximising what you've got. And that is down to the race engineers and the guys in the garage. So I don't think it'll have a massive impact on this year, but it might have a big impact on 2022. So if you're Red Bull and if you're Max Verstappen wondering, do I stay at Red Bull next year or do I stay at Mercedes or do I go to Mercedes? I would have thought it might sway you. And this is no slight on Mikey Elliott. It's just purely the handover period. It might sway you to stay at Red Bull. Just one little point that's kind of segues in from that is uh, I had a great chat with Ant Davidson yesterday and I'm going to be in the comms box with him and Damon for FP1. Pink side. Is this going to be a regular thing? Because of course, for people who don't remember, you were you were lead comms um, in Bahrain as well, FP1. Yes. So really excited to say that it'll either be myself or Rachel Brooks uh, in FP1 for every race this season. Um, and we want to treat it like a conversation and, and ask 
the questions of the experts that hopefully the fans want answering. But one thing that Ant told me was the emphasis on the sim this year is greater than ever. And he put a massive stint in last week on the simulator. And it's really helped them, particularly between testing and the race in Bahrain. I thought it's fascinating. You know, I've, I've always been a massive fan of, of Ant's, but the value that he's able to bring to Mercedes on the simulator is is greater now, arguably, than it's ever been. I thought that was really interesting and, and how much they relied on that and how much they were able to take a step forward between testing and Bahrain and why they therefore were as strong as they were when they hit the track for the first race of the season. Yeah, and backs up what Andrew Shublin was saying about maximising what you've got and, and with no testing in between races. Over to you, And Who else have they got, Mercedes? They've got They've got an army of sim drivers haven't they um i'm trying to think who is it esteban gutierrez is he is he one of them gutierrez yes i believe so but ant is the main one for me i mean he he put in something like 160 laps i believe last week which was great but but he gets a real thrill from it and i spoke to him a great length about this he said i actually prefer to be a sim driver than a race driver really yeah i, I couldn't believe it either but the value he feels he can bring and the feedback he can give the team is uh, invaluable and it's it's great both for him and the team. Have you got any any other business? Yes, I guess the news that uh, Nico Hulkenberg is confirmed as Aston Martin's reserve driver, no massive surprise there, but he comes with a wealth of experience and he's able to jump in as we've seen at short notice. Um, so great news for both him and the team. It's good that he's still got one foot firmly in the Formula One camp. It would be great to see him back. There's no doubting his talent and a great addition and asset to Formula One. And he's funny. I hope it means he comes to races because he's always fun to have a coffee with, isn't he? And just... yeah. You can't do that in COVID times, Tom. Well, we can't. There are but no it... coffees. No, that's a very no good point. There's no fun in Formula One. No, there is no. But, but we can have a, a Zoom coffee with him at the racetrack. Well, Tom, three long weeks between races and we've got through a huge amount. I think we've just about covered everything. Yeah. And we'll all be back next week. That's me, Pinks and Damon after the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Don't forget that we will have our Ask Damon Hill section. So keep sending your questions in for the champ. Voice notes, please, and send them to askdamonhill at gmail.com. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One in association with Audio Boom. Don't forget to follow F1 Nation on your favourite podcast app so you don't miss any of our new episodes. And big thanks too to Rob Smedley and to Davide Valsecchi, our guests. Both absolutely brilliant. OK, well, thank you for your company. We will see you at Imola. Ciao for now. See ya. Bye.